0: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Hines, CEO and founder of Canvas, a company building fully integrated clinical, financial, and operational tools on top of a software developer's toolkit. Andrew shares his thoughts on how the medical record should better reflect a person's clinical journey, why the digital health market is still in its earliest days, and why sometimes focusing purely on technological solutions is not the best approach for health tech startups. Enjoy. Andrew Hines, CEO and founder of Canvas, thanks for joining me
1: today. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Can we start off just telling us a bit about Canvas and what you all do?
1: Of course, uh, you know today, Canvas is the leading platform for digital health companies delivering care. It's the simplest way to launch and scale a new practice across really any payment model and any care model. Uh, we supply digital health companies with everything they need on day one and give them unmatched extensibility to build over time. And this is really in support of our mission to accelerate medicine through developer-caregiver, developer-clinician collaboration. That's one of the most exciting things I think we've seen over the last two years is ushering a new species of healthcare provider where uh, technology is not relegated to a department of a vendor, uh, but is really part and parcel of the delivery process.
0: And your own background is particularly well suited uh, to this to this mission. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you, how you got to this and, and and how you ended up here today.
1: Yeah, it's been a journey, that's for sure. Um, whoever first said healthcare is complicated, certainly American healthcare uh, <laughs> got it right. Uh, but my, you know, the start was pretty. I don't know. Uh, you could say naive. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, prosaic I think a shared experience for a lot of people in uh, in terms of like getting into healthcare, where you just you have an experience, whether it's yourself as a patient uh, or something through family. I mean, healthcare touches us all in a big way, often. Uh, for me, it was gosh, back in 2011, uh, and I remember you know not not the exact moment, but uh, quite a bit of the context of this. So. The, uh, my fiancee, who was at Johns Hopkins uh, doing a nursing degree, uh, studying to be a family nurse practitioner and also studying for a master's in public health, she was doing rotations in different clinics around the Baltimore area. Uh, and we had uh, an apartment together. I was still flying back and forth from Silicon Valley to, to Baltimore. Uh, so it's kind of a small apartment, uh, but I had this little sunroom and it was an oddly shaped sunroom. We could fit our desks together only in one way, which was sort of elbow (laughs) to elbow. Right. Um, And so she would come home with, you know, with different rotations, she would be using different EMRs. And in one clinic, it was Greenway. In another clinic, it was Athena. In another clinic, it was eClinicalWorks. It was Epic, CERN, I mean, you name it. Um, And so I just couldn't help but notice what she was doing. And I was curious, naturally very curious. And I wanted to understand, what problems she was solving with the software, how it was helping her. And I just noticed, I mean, it didn't make sense to me. And, and that wasn't, you know, I didn't approach it with this concept of like, Oh, well it's broken. Right. Right. It was more like, there's something I don't understand here. Mm. Right. Um, and so pulled on that thread and that led to a real deep curiosity in the process of care delivery, right. How, how do clinicians and patients interact? What problems need to be solved there? the context of the business around that, how do, you, how, how do these practices work and operate? Um, deep study over a couple of years and uh, you know, got really close with a family practice actually in my hometown uh, that was gracious enough to let me become a part of the practice. I mean scribing, uh, shadowing the front desk, the document management team. Sadly, story for another day, uh, that practice ended up shutting down uh, like so many independent practices have over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years in the consolidation cycle, um, but really got close to the problem, felt like the experience for clinicians needed to level up in a big way, and that my background in, uh, in data science was an important part of making that happen. So uh, rethinking the UI, rethinking the data structure to enable a better UX, uh, and then in 2014, I joined the data science team at Practice Fusion, and that was really the beginning of a, you know, what I fully anticipate will be a lifetime uh, of dedication to this. And in Practice Fusion, you know, was it was a phenomenal learning experience with an amazing team, um, and you know, sort of took some learnings out of that uh, onto Canvas.
0: Having been in and around the healthcare technology interplay for a while now, and uh, having lived through the initial uh, major uh, EMR implementation at the academic medical center that I've worked at, um, the th- thinking back on that, and that was 2008, 2009, like that time period when I graduated from medical school, um, that somebody would talk about a, as you did, about the the developer, the clinician, the, um, the clinical workflows in the context of what I was seeing back then um, would have been just crazy to me you know when I I did a, a stint in the policy world around the time meaningful use was was coming into its own and that was sort of the first time for me personally I started to think about the possibility of the electronic medical record in a different way because before that I thought well this is just a thing that everyone hates that they're stuck doing in, right. in the hospital and yeah. Um, yeah. so it, it Talk to me a bit about that interplay, because it sounds like you really lived that from the discovery phase as you were coming up with this idea. Um, and and what kind of, what specific pain points did you see that made you think, hey, this problem has to be solved de novo? Like there has to be, um, go from zero to one solving that problem, not retrofitting something else that was out there.
1: Such an important question. Um, I think there's, there's sort of a, uh idealistic or theoretical answer and then a very practical one um uh, the concept of in so many people make the claim that you know emrs were built as billing systems and there of course is truth to that uh there's a very practical truth to you know in uh toward the end of the uh the 20th century right like the you could get paid faster if you computerized claims. And there was a great business case to be made, but there wasn't, it wasn't obvious why we would computerize medical records. And that's why Bob Wachter published, you know, his book in 2015, The Digital Doctor, um, uh, hope, hype and harm in the dawn of medicine's computer age in 2015, right? It's it's mind boggling. Um, But there's also, you know, folks have really tried to build at all different vendors, uh, workflows that do support clinicians in different ways, but they're operating under constraints of the business. They're operating mm-hmm. under trying to serve so many masters, right? You're trying to serve the financial needs of the practice, the needs of patients, the needs of clinicians. And it's just been really, really hard. And I think that the, practically speaking, the way that the industry developed in with the High Tech Act in 2009 mm-hmm. Uh, this rush to build and capture that federal uh, subsidy led to a lot of development that was really development by regulatory standards, right? So the notion of a product roadmap was all about meeting, historically, it was about meeting the financial needs of the health system or the practice, and then it became uh, meeting the needs of the regulation to get that subsidy. And so it was always that the clinical workflows and the real science of medicine was second fiddle to these other objectives. Um, And so you, as you build, you build constraints into the system. It wasn't conceptualized that the primary purpose of these systems should be to model the phenomenon of human health, right? That is the primary primary objective of healthcare, uh, of intervening in a patient's health is to understand what's going on and have a sense of how different interventions might change the course. Um, And so we sort of bringing that data structure, the notion of modeling a real world phenomenon with a computer system has always been the principle behind Canvas. Um, And that data structure is everything, right? So that's really the reason to start quote unquote over or de novo, um, is building a data structure that is amenable or enables things like automation, things like building statistical learning models over time. Um, if you don't build that in from the beginning, it's extremely difficult to, to retrofit. And then there's a second part of your question, I think that's really important. Um, developers themselves, you know, even in 2014, when I joined Practice Fusion, the notion that a practice itself, a care delivery organization would employ computer <laughs> programmers didn't, crazy. It, didn't yeah. enter anyone's yeah. consciousness, right? Um, and I think that this is probably the single most important change in the industry. And Mm. it's from pretty deep drivers beyond COVID. COVID is a catalyst for sure. Uh, But the real fuel for the fire is a whole lot deeper. And we can certainly talk about that. Um, But historically, you know, EMRs have had to either be so configurable and so general that you can kind of configure yourself into a knot. Uh, or really specialize and you have an EMR for dermatology an EMR for plastics an EMR for gastro. Um, and then you can get pretty close. I think this notion that care delivery companies have software engineers on staff, whose job it is to support the care team in delivering, you know, meeting their care model objectives, that changes everything. And it means right. for us, we can enable them. We can sort of take a step back in the value chain Provide all the primitive components, and uh, I use primitive in quotes, here, they're quite sophisticated, but they're sure. the building block, um, and really enable those teams to build out in extraordinary depth their specific care model to move care forward for their specific population of patients, and it takes that ecosystem change to make a business like Canvas really possible. And we, you know, over the years, moved left, moved right, we tacked over and over on the market to try and figure out how. To realize the potential here, and, and now looking back, um, you know we see it really has been developers becoming a means of production for healthcare services. That's the biggest component.
0: I was surprised. Uh, in my my previous roles, have included uh, working with the the privilege of working with independent primary care providers, and the range of their own engagement with um, their electronic medical record was interesting and instructive. But I I started to see the most engaged physicians at the physician level really tapping into that same desire that you talked about, where they wanted to have custom templates and pick lists for their most commonly encountered um, uh, conditions. And it's not just like, as you alluded to, like, and I'm guilty of it as well, the trope about billing, it's not just about billing, it was about workflow. And these are older docs, you know. I mean, like, you know, I'm i the the son and grandson of physicians, and the idea that my father, um, who's not that old, and certainly my grandparents, would think about the a software product integrated into their clinical workflow, it just doesn't. It wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't hold water for me. Um, right. So it's not just the developers, right? But it's sort of like everybody at the front line now. Um, what do you attribute that to? I have a couple of hypotheses, but you you're living this, so what like where does that come from? Do you think
1: it is to use a clinical term, multifactorial for <laughs> sure. Uh, I think there's a lot of inputs here. One is just the natural evolution of the population and their comfort with technology. Right. right? Uh, you know the notion now that Medicare Advantage patients or seniors are extremely comfortable with their phones Mm -hmm. and you know with the internet and uh and zoom and, and facetime and it's just so woven into life so that's sort of the background context now from uh sort of a deeper or more uh sort of industry specific driver i think folks have felt so much pain of the systems you know being a blocker being barriers that there's a natural interest in pain relief and how we can get it get things working better drivers like, and this is one you're very familiar with uh, the ongoing steady, you know, let's say slow, but steady progress toward more value-based purchasing. Mm. Um, So far it's been more of a burden on practices. Mm -hmm. There's more data to track. There's more uh, complexity in the computation of clinical quality measures uh, it's just more to do, and there have been, you know, studies. I think Health Affairs at one point estimated fifty plus thousand dollars per full time physician just in reporting quality. Forget about improving quality, right. but just to report it. Um, like that is a data problem. That is a software problem, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that the pain that care teams and you know, even to your point, even. Um, you know, baby boomer physicians, like they have a a vested interest in solving that problem, uh, at least the ones that aren't retiring. And so, uh, you know, seeing systems start to automate data collection, uh, do a better job at inferring gaps, do a better job in in supporting these workflows, supporting delegation, ensuring that everyone's working at the top of their license, getting more automation and workflows. I think all of those, start to build confidence and hope and optimism that these systems can really be an aid rather than, than a barrier. Uh, I think the supply shortage is another huge driver, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about value-based purchasing being one. Um, in the, let's say old days of the physician-centered model where you have the town doctor and you go, uh, you pay with a sack of potatoes. <laughs> it's very easy, right? There's no, the communication is direct. There's that sort of sacred space between physician and patient. The reality is the country needs more care than the country's capable of delivering. And teams are getting more complex and specialties are going deeper. Um, and so there's a whole lot more coordination that needs to happen, independent from just a, a diagnostician making a decision and then prescribing an intervention, whatever that might be. It's now. You know we have to do much more with much less in order to service the demand across a, an interdisciplinary care team. And so that's an information problem. And again, I think that that these care teams are recognizing that, and they're starting to see the benefit of being able to uh, to really use the communication tools that they're used to in other parts of their life to deliver better care.
0: what What segment of the EMR market, which which you alluded to earlier, is um, already, fragmented uh, in terms of who's using what and who's buying what on that for that product for those product lines um, what's the like what's the who's your core customer within those markets and, and do you have to choose given the um, some of the the nuances and the the mission that, that canvas is is uh, operating with
1: we do have to choose uh, the in a couple different dimensions and then that actually frees us up to have quite a bit of breadth um, in another dimension, the the most important part of our market focus is that uh, we're dealing with new entrants. You know, for the most part, folks who have not laid down, that haven't bent steel or poured concrete yet, right. and laid down their core infrastructure. Right. Uh, and that's just raw economics, right? Um, the so that's criterion one. Criterion two is serving care delivery companies whose Competitive strategy is dependent on technology in a big way, right? The, their strategy for acquiring patients, their strategy for dealing with insurers, their commercial strategy. For the most part, these are highly correlated. New entrants are uh, competing based on technology. And, and so it's a pretty well-defined market segment. Um, of course, it excludes you know, uh, quite a bit of the established market, right? Your multi-hundred physician, multi-specialty group running in some cases, Epic or, you know, say next switching those practices over to Canvas is not our market today. There's a future world where it will be, but it's not our market today. Um, so technology-focused new entrants is our core. Now, from a specialty perspective, that frees us up, right? Because these practices have developers on staff and we don't need to, it's not appropriate for us to be building their care models for them uh, we can service and do service a very broad array of ambulatory medical specialties. We don't do acute and we don't do surgical, uh, but everything from pediatric behavioral health to, you know, comprehensive geriatric medicine in the home and through, you know, async, uh, async care and remote care uh, gives us quite a bit of, of freedom in that way because we're working with these um, very capable new species of care delivery groups.
0: And within that, the places you've already started to play um what like what have been the biggest growth drivers is it net new entrants? is it um you know new models what do you see like w- you, when you think about you don't have to give anything away but like what's your what's your can't miss group you know what's the persona that you absolutely have to get for canvas
1: it is the new entrance for sure okay. and these new entrants come from you know, three places. I think the, the bread and butter for us today and we're seeing so much activity is through venture funded, PE backed, uh, new entrants that have a vision for bringing a new care model to market that serves a population in a better way. And that's their competitive advantage. And our job is to accelerate that competitive advantage and help them use their resources uh, to the greatest competitive effect uh, for their target populations and their business models. There are two adjacent markets that are uh, very important to us, and I think you know, we will see how these unfold. One is incumbent systems, whether they're insurers or, or integrated delivery networks or, or academic medical centers, that are either launching new practices to serve a specific population in a better way. And I always give the example of uh, you know, pre-postnatal care. If the standard care model or today's care model in a specific geography for a specific health system might have a 30-day wait to get a prenatal appointment. Now, you could get a phenomenal experience in 30 minutes uh, from some of the new entrants doing uh, maternity care. And that's, you know, these incumbents are feeling that. They're feeling that competition. And so I think some of the forward-thinking ones are investing ahead of it. And they're, they're looking to launch similar care models. The incumbents who are Adopting care models that require new infrastructure is important to us. They have distribution rails, uh, you know, but they don't have the switching costs that are really challenging. The other adjacent market is the long tail. It's the physicians you and I know who are the one in five that responded to the AMA survey on, you know, what are you going to do with your career at this point? And and one in five saying, well, I'm going to leave my current practice within the next two years. I have certainly experienced this personally in our family and, and among our friend group, but it's it's extremely difficult today in today's environment. Um, it can feel extractive, not that there's any malintent explicitly, but it can feel extractive as a clinician in, in certain environments. And I think folks are uh, sort of declaring defiantly, optimistically, that there's a better way to do this. Uh, and so that long tail of potential new entrants that are accomplished clinicians that are looking to, to launch practices uh, themselves, hang their digital shingles, so to speak, is something we're very excited about. And, uh, you know, there's some product enhancements and some roadmap decisions uh, in front of us that are going to help accelerate that. But um, all sort of comes back to new entrants and, and technology focused. In a
0: similar vein, I'm, I'm always... Curious about uh, team building, particularly as companies grow and tackle these new segments. And particularly for you all, because there's, I mean, you're a good example of this. There are a ton of folks that have been building solutions like this for decades in in pockets across the country and the world. Um, When you were looking, when you've grown your team, what's your strategy been? Do you recruit from the, the traditional emr backgrounds or are you saying hey we're trying to do something new let's bring maybe a more traditional non-emr software background in and teach them the bits that need to be there um, to 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 meet all the standards but do it in a different way or like what's the how do you see that balance as you're building a team
1: we think about it every day Uh, i think to some degree it's idiosyncratic every individual brings uh unique perspective and you know you might uh, characterize them in one way or another. I mean we see folks who come from uh, sort of big tech but for whatever reason have developed real strong vocabulary in healthcare because their partner or their parents or their families are are in the space and so we look for that bridging. Um, even you know folks in healthcare uh, physicians often younger physicians that have, been writing software applications since they were twelve. Are very comfortable with programming, and so really looking for that. Uh, you know, there's this concept of not just T-shaped people, but uh, Greek letter Pi-shaped people, right? We're looking for people deep in multiple subject matter areas, but uh, with the context to bridge them. Um, and we've been pretty successful in in doing that. Now, the I think the functional area matters a lot here, right? And you know, we have folks on the team from with experience from Epic and with Anthem and in Clover and Stanford and uh, Privia and and they're all those organizations are all known for excellence in specific areas and we try and match that with where we really need that capability again with that uh, ability to bridge and and be open um, be open to different ways of of doing things so I think one fortunate um, circumstance for us right now is just that. It is kind of obvious for those, you know, if you're paying attention, it's pretty obvious that the need here is burning and there is so much inertia around, not just, I mean, forget about enablement. Enablement doesn't matter if you don't have people that are going to go do the Mm. thing, right. And doing the thing is making healthcare delivery better, higher quality. The whole triple aim we talked about or quadruple and now quintuple aim. um, Like that's the thing that's burning in terms of importance and technology has just, so clearly become a competitive advantage in doing that um, that we're able to get you know some of the best talent in the country
0: well I'm sure you're tapping into this the same thing that I've seen in this field where when you go into like a subset new entrant right there will be a moment invariably I think somebody memed this at one point where people sit around and they're like we need to build We need to build an EMR, you know, like to do what we want to do, whatever that little subset is, musculoskeletal care, behavioral health or telehealth, whatever, right? Um, But then they realize that like, that is a whole thing in and of itself. And it must be very freeing to find the folks that say like, you know, that old, you got to burn the boats. Like if you're going to do the EMR, that's a pure play activity, right. right? Yeah. It's not a side of the desk thing. Like, yeah, well, it's the kind of it. thing
1: where the, the the whole the market is is so early, and the the understanding of the problems is still pretty nascent among you know many operators, and entrepreneurs, and and I think it's a really good sign, right? Like we, the market overall, just macroeconomics one on one, ambulatory medicine, it's a trillion dollar services market trillion dollars of ambulatory medical services delivered in the US, right? Forget about surgical, forget about acute. Um, It's not enough, right? And not from the dollar sign, but just like the amount of services. We have this, the silver tsunami, there's a surge in demand that's gonna last decades. And then we have the supply shortage across all capacity types, physicians, dietitians, behavioral analysts, nurse practitioners, we just don't have enough of anything. And so that creates the vacuum to pull entrepreneurs in right and so we're seeing the again this is a good thing a lot of different backgrounds and sort of folks coming at the problem in different ways with incomplete understanding um and from that comes a lot of new innovation and progress but we're in a position where you know i think we can lend a lot of our expertise from working with so many of these businesses to help fill those gaps and help people go faster Uh, i think the as we mature as a market and as a really a new arm of the industry it'll start to become obvious just like it is in, in web application development. Like no one would say, let's start, let's build a web app. And like <laughs> step one is to parse HTTP packets. Like, <laughs> right, right. It's kooky. You, you just, you pick a web framework and you go. Right, right. And, and that's what Canvas is for care delivery. Mm-hmm. Like, you pick an EMR development platform, a payments development platform, and then you go. And, and so, you know, that's like, when we see that click and it, you know, it clicks pretty early on for most folks, um, it's very exciting for them and obviously very motivating for us and our teams and supporting them.
0: I'll always like to, to close this with, uh, some advice from folks who are actually doing this stuff, you know, on the ground. So, um, for you in particular, and you must get approached by folks about this, cause I know I get approached by people with, who have backgrounds that look remotely like mine, but for, for those in the, um, in the data science space developers who have this idea to tackle these huge thorny challenges in healthcare with technology you know technology enabled what do you say to them you know like you're doing a big thing uh in, in you know a new market but with some established players Like, how do you like how do you respond to that when people ask you
1: i mean i think this is pretty first principles uh but from Coming from a place of curiosity, really understanding why, you know, like you definitely don't want to walk around with a hammer looking for nails. Right. And the notion that technology, the assumption that technology is a solution is not always true. Like we know for a fact, precondition for success in care delivery specifically is a fantastic culture and focus on clinical excellence and clinical talent right that is not a technology problem right Right. that is a cultural problem that is a a, a hiring problem that's a leadership problem uh and there are companies that are doing great work there i mean look at wheel as an example how they're bringing talent together to solve some of these capacity issues yeah there's technology involved but that's not where it starts it starts with we need you know we need to get the talent together and so um you know, that's the most important thing: is just ultimate clarity on what it is you're really solving, and who on earth cares? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, after that, who's going to pay for it so that you right. can actually sustain the business? Um, and I think, for the most part, folks do a, do a, a great job. There, are, the other piece in our particular space that I think deserves more attention and dialogue is the externalities and the operating conditions of healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. The focus on patient safety we talk about data security we talk about data privacy we talk about hipaa uh, when you're in the space of care delivery patient safety has to come in my opinion before you know even data security or data mm-hmm. privacy uh, they're related concepts but um but different um and so i like you know that's the other piece that i always ask folks uh, around and, and understanding the externalities like what you, there's a lot of good you aim to do Let's hypothesize about what are some unexpected effects that, you know, might impact things in a way you uh, didn't intend. So, um, you know, that's a factor of healthcare being high stakes and high complexity, but I think it's what it takes to be in the space. And and what we're really aiming for is not to shave pennies and make one tiny little piece of the process, 2% better. You can build a hundred million dollar business on that in American healthcare. That's possible. Uh, is that really what you want to do? Or are we aiming to finally get the change that we think Americans deserve? That's, that's the open question.
0: Andrew Hines, CEO and founder of Canvas. Thanks for joining me today.
1: A pleasure, Joe. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show,
0: please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com
1: slash startups.